I don't I really don't have any regrets. I really don't. I've I've lived exactly how I've wanted to. I've tried my hardest every single time. I didn't win the matches that maybe I should have always won or but I really gave it my all, so that for me is enough. Hello everybody, welcome back to The Body Serve, I'm Jonathan. And I'm James. We're coming to you with our mid-French Open episode. So much has happened in week one. There's this tricky, small turnaround between us recording and a lot of the stuff that we're saying being relevant when you listen to it. We're at the point where the quarterfinal matchups are all set. And uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit toward the end of the episode. But we're, this episode is mostly going to be recapping a lot of the stuff that happened in week one. And there was a lot of tennis and a lot of drama. I like covering Major so much because the sort of themes and predictions that you lay out on the preview episode are always upended, sometimes on the first day. All the well-made plans are just totally shot to hell. Pieces of the draw that we thought were going to be intriguing weren't. Uh, stories pop up. Certain players dominate the news cycle. And it's just always surprising. We participated in the Tornitopia tennis fantasy bracket thing online. And I am squarely in the bottom 95% <laughs> of both the women and the men's draws. It's, I think they call that the fifth percentile. It's crazy. I mean, I... There's 16 players left in both draws total. I have five still alive. Zverev will <laughs> drop off from my draw because I have him losing in the quarterfinals. Mm. And then there'll be four left. I was doing really well through the first week. I was like tied for second in one of them. And now it's just, I mean, what are you going to do when you pick Svitolina to win the women's draw? Like, I deserved it. One of the things that we predicted to be a big store in week one and it's no great prognostication. Obviously, it was going to be a big story, regardless of how she played, was Serena Williams. And uh, boy, was <laughs> it ever a big story. Serena managed to dominate every news cycle in the first week, I think. Before the tournament, it was about the seeding drama, and that pretty much fell away when the tournament got going. And we realized that she was in pretty good form, and she started beating seeds. Well, she was in okay form in the first match against Kristina Pliskova, mm -hmm. and then through a set in a game against Ash Barty, she looked totally lost at sea. Right. I think I even DM'd you because you're at work, and I said, Serena's not getting out of this match. It looked that bad. And then she had what I call a Kamanathan, <laughs> and it roared her back to life, and uh, was able to get through those last two sets against Barty in good stead. And then she took out Yulia Gerges fairly routinely mm -hmm. in round three. I was really surprised by that. I thought Gerges was going to be a very tough match. Let's start with the first round match against Pliskova, because I think it was expected that Serena would be rusty and that the first round would be tough, that it would be a real gauge of maybe not where she was physically, but can she fight through these jitters? And we had let you know on, the, on our preview episode that Pliskova was not somebody to take lightly. Because she was having good results on clay, not, mm -hmm. not making the final or semifinal for the most part, but still getting to quarters, winning matches at every tournament, even on clay. And her serve was going to prove a problem for Serena, in, and it did in the match. Right. And would have for anyone. She hit 15 aces, which I hear is the most that anyone's ever hit against Serena. Something to that effect, mm -hmm. or some in 10 years or something like that. And so with Pliskova serving so well as expected, it put a premium on Serena being able to defend her own serve, which she was able to do. Mm -hmm. I think you observed early on that her side-to-side -side movement was a little slow for her. I mean, she had a five-week training block. It's, it's not enough still to get to this level, right? But she's Serena. She hit 13 aces herself, and all of her strengths were able to kind of outweigh those things that still need work. It wasn't that she was slow per se. Once she got moving, she was fine. Mm -hmm. It was the reaction times, the changing directions moving laterally and then moving toward the net. It took her a while to get the gears going. And then you mentioned in the second match, she started pretty poor against Ash Barty. And she said that between her singles and doubles first rounds, she came out really sore. <laughs> you know, you can practice and train like crazy, but getting into that those first few matches, like you're going to be wiped. Your muscles are not going to 
be used to performing like that. So once she loosened up, and then obviously the commands and, you know, she was pumping herself up quite a bit. When that turned around for her, like it was, I mean, it wasn't one-way traffic because Ash really fought. Like she didn't sweep through those second two sets, but you had the feeling like, oh, Serena's turning this around. It was a, just such a stark contrast between the Serena that we saw in the first set to who finished the match. Mm-hmm. It was a completely different player. The other thing that we haven't mentioned yet about Serena in terms of causing news is that she showed up for her first match in a cat suit. <laughs> she sure did. What a statement. I don't know if she wanted to make a statement. She, she explicitly said she wants to make a statement. <laughs> she was asked about it. She said... And she tweeted about it, Instagrammed about it, saying that she wanted other mothers to know that if she can do it, they can do it too. And she's talked a lot, especially recently, about her own body image, how she fought for years to feel good about herself physically. And now that she has had a child and is coming back and, you know, her body feels different and looks different, wearing the catsuit was such an embrace of where she's at now. Because it's not Serena looking like Serena four years ago. It's Serena, pardon the turn of phrase, flaws and all, as far as how it's going to be received by the public. And she doesn't give a fuck. Right. She's like, this is how my body looks now at this point in my comeback, and I'm going to celebrate it. Mm-hmm. And that's where the power comes from, in my humble male opinion. <laughs> Speaking of the cat suit, there, were, there was a lot of consternation, a lot of chitter-chatter. Mm. Not kitty chiller chitter chatter, not that type. <laughs> That's a throwback. <laughs> but a lot of folks had stuff to say about Serena's cat suit, and a lot of it was cloaked in talking about the rules and whether it was allowed. And some of it was taking digs at her, Serena. Some of it was taking digs at the enforcement of rules and how shoddy they can be on the WTA. Some of it was just bitter, and some of it was. <laughs> completely in awe of Serena and what she was doing. Right. It really ran the gamut. I think first we have to get this out of the way. Christina Pliskova, after their match, made these comments, and this translation was kind of circulating around Twitter. And a lot of us hesitated to, to run with it because we only saw it cited in one source, right? Uh, well, a lot of folks rightly so pointed out that it's it's one thing to have a translation, but it's also another thing to get a Czech translation, which can often be doubly difficult with a simple tool like Google Translator. Right. It's not like French and Italian and Spanish. There are a million people who can translate that for you. So what she really said was, I wondered whether it may be in accordance with the rules. I do not know what it was. Maybe some kind of neoprene? I really didn't know that we could play like this. For what I remember, even when it's cold, they don't let you play in long clothes. This is the only thing that confused me. But she knows the rules. Otherwise, let's play quietly in the nude. (laughs) So it's it's so hard to get context from this, especially because it's in Pliskova's native language, which we don't speak. I think there was a lot of humor in that. You're not getting the tone from the text. Right. When I read the actual translation, it was totally innocuous for me. You had some sources saying, you know, she was pretty much kidding like she was smiling and she was very complimentary of Serena at other times in the press conference so I I hesitate to go in on Christina because I already did last week for the whole defending her sister's lumberjacking thing so I'm gonna leave Christina alone for now I think we you know it took a lot of talking you off the ledge for you to get to that point because you were ready to just be wild (laughs) And see what happens when you wait a beat for context. You don't make a fool of yourself, because I was about to. The other thing is, though, I understand that a lot of players are kind of annoyed if they feel that Serena plays by different rules, right? If they have been knocked for wearing similar things. And that, that may be the case. I don't know. And I'll be the first to admit that the attire rules on the WTA and ITF are very confusing to me. They're really short (laughs) like the text is very short and clearly the grand slam tournaments can have their own rules as well let's get that out of the way i don't know what the rules are, and also rules surrounding women's athletics as dictated by sporting organizations tend to be either incredibly sexist driven like uh Mm. sexualizing women's bodies or sexualizing them in reverse by having them be too buttoned up 
Right. Do you know what I mean? And so that those rules are often very fraught and and coded as mm-hmm. well. Well, because there is the assumption that a woman's body is inherently sexual in function and physicality. Just the fact of being a woman whose body parts look a certain way, you are sexualized. And that the bodies are there on display for the ogling and objectification of mm. by men. So beyond Pliskova, Arena Rodionova was engaging with all of the army people on Twitter. She seemed to be enjoying herself. Uh, Ala Kudryavtseva engaged in a pretty thoughtful exchange with a lot of people on Twitter. And so... I enjoyed her. It's hard. It's I enjoyed so, her comments. Yeah. But it's so hard to explain. Like, it's not necessarily the content, like the text of what was said. But I understand why people chafe when what Serena wears and what her hair looks like and what her nails look like and what jewelry she has on. When all of these things are topics of discussion and it's framed through guilt or innocence, that she must be breaking the rules, that there's this hint of criminality to what she's doing. So it's not only that what black women look like and what they wear is always a topic of discussion, but there is this touch of disapproval and a presumption that she is guilty of something. We've talked about it ad nauseum on this show, that you can't just talk about Serena as a tennis player. And we're seeing this with something as as innocuous as her attire. Nothing she does can be talked about or exist without taking into consideration the color of her skin and Mm -hmm. her blackness. And folks resent that, but that's just the way it is. I've also had folks say, we're at a point where you can't say anything bad about Serena, whether they think she's right or wrong. Like if you think Serena's legitimately wrong in one instance, you can't say anything bad about her or critical about her because it's just going to be swallowed up and you're going to be eaten alive. Mm -hmm. Which is is the case you will be eaten alive there's also a way to go about critiquing serena right which isn't often done in the correct way a way that admittedly is subjective (laughs) (laughs) you know but like you can't just be out here popping off because you feel like it when you have somebody of that stature at the top who is so culturally significant at this point Mm -hmm. outside of just tennis And I think Kudryavtseva went about it in a way that was not problematic. She said, I love Serena. I'm a huge fan. I just have some questions. What I object to is the approach that, well, I don't know the rules, but... And my my response is, well, if you don't know the rules, why don't you find out before you show your ass everywhere? And I'm not speaking about Ala here. Mm -hmm. Some other players who were talking. Or give specific instances where you yourself or folks you know about were treated differently. Mm-hmm. And then present a case. We love legal arguments. We've been getting <laughs> into them on the show. Right. We went through the intercom gate. We, we did our research for that. If you want to go that route, then show the receipts. Don't just be popping off just because. Mm. And if players are being denied the right to wear compression garments which it turns out have some medical utility and serena mentioned that yeah then maybe that's not fair maybe that needs to be assessed i agree and i don't think that because serena is serena that she you know gets to do things that other players can't as some some fans were arguing you're saying that you don't think she should no no no. i'm saying i don't believe that she's the rules shouldn't apply to one player because there's people who will say that they should apply to everybody, but I don't care if Serena gets away with it. <laughs> right. And I, that's certainly not my position. Okay. And I don't think it's your position no. either. This would be an instance where a player's union would be a wonderful avenue to go through. Because if you had questions or complaints about the the enforcement of attire rules, that's the way to go. You don't have any bargaining power just yourself on Twitter complaining about the WTA, right? But we're seeing here one of the the stark ways in which a union wouldn't work within the current setup of the WTA and professional tennis Mm. because how many people are you bringing along with the union? Are you bringing along the top 50? Who are you advocating for most? You know, Mm. like if these issues, if some issues are affecting folks on the ITF circuit more or the challenger circuit more, then they, by, by default rightly or wrongly, will be taken less seriously. Hmm. 
Right. And so we're going to get ourselves into a situation where it's going to be a top-down situation where the stuff that affects Serena in her comeback is the stuff that necessarily is going to get the most play. And then some of the maybe day-to-day more pressing issues that would affect a, a whole bunch of more players won't necessarily get as much attention. So it's going to take a lot of fine tooth combing <laughs> right. to really bring right. everybody along. Now, we don't want the Serena to be the entire episode, although we probably could do that. What happened today? It seemed like Serena and Sharapova were about to take the court after the previous match, and rumors were popping up on Twitter. And within 10 minutes, they were confirmed that Serena was indeed going to withdraw, issuing Sharapova a walkover. Well, the, the reason why there was such buzz about Serena today was because she was going to be playing Sharapova. Right. And in case you had forgotten... Sharapova hasn't beaten Serena since 2004. That's she was initially 19 straight victories over the course of 13 and a half years. It's a, a topic, their so-called rivalry, that's generated a lot of dialogue over the years because of the totally lopsided nature of it. And for all those years where Maria was making more money in endorsements than, than Serena, yet she could not beat Serena and Serena was number one, and eventually the GOAT, and winning all those Grand Slam titles. Mm -hmm. And so we're at this unique juncture now where Sharapova is coming back from her suspension for Meldonium. She's a year into it. And Serena's coming back from her own time away, be it being pregnancy and having a child. We haven't seen this matchup since the match in question, where Sharapova Mm -hmm. was... Popping those pills. Which was 2016. On that fateful day in Australia. And so much has happened since. And this was... We knew it was going to happen eventually. For me personally, it felt like unfortunate timing. Agreed. I was not ready for it just yet. I don't think either woman is in her prime shape. And maybe they won't be again. Maybe they'll never meet again when they're both in really good condition. Mm -hmm. Right? Or when they're really not conditioned, but when they're both playing quite well. Obviously, it's devastating. Serena cited a pec injury, which is the reason she pulled out. She couldn't serve. She was having a lot of pain. And uh, it's not something that she has experienced before. So she mentioned in the press conference that she it's an injury that she doesn't know how to manage because she hasn't experienced this one before. In her doubles match, you know, I must be blind because I did watch the third set and they were bageled. And I just thought like, wow, this really sucks. But some people thought, oh, something's really wrong with her. They had a bad feeling about this match. You clearly were not paying close attention. Uh, obviously not. Obviously, Serena is thinking about her future. She's 36. She doesn't have a ton of years in her career going forward. And Wimbledon is a month away. I think it shows that the injury is actually pretty serious. Mm-hmm. Even in this early stage of her comeback, I can't imagine that a little niggle would have kept Serena off the court. If it's something to keep her off the court for her to withdraw from a slam, it must be serious. Serena has never withdrawn in a singles Grand Slam. Mid-tournament. Right. You know, we're not going to even get into the whole, she she was afraid to meet Maria. She didn't want to lose to Maria because she wasn't in optimal condition. At her age... And where her body is right now, if she's not in op- optimal condition, she probably shouldn't be playing, right? Like, this is about maintaining her body for the rest of her career because she has things she wants to achieve. So the the idea that she was afraid of facing Maria is ridiculous. She's proved that point 19 times. She was asked about Maria a few times in press. Do you want to get into that? Obviously, Serena was going to be asked about Maria's book, Unstoppable, ahead of their matchup. She was asked specifically about, you know, what Maria said about you in the locker room after the 2004 Wimbledon final. And Serena was not messy, but not subtle. She said, I think a lot of it was hearsay. What goes on in the locker room, I think should be kept there. And sure, I was probably crying. I cry after a lot of losses. And so do a lot of people. And I think it's normal. And if I didn't do that, there would be something wrong. And then she moved on. I mean, it wasn't messy, but it, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like grinning and taking it either. 
But she eventually said, you know, I don't have it. I've never had anything against her. It's not like that. And I don't know that I believe that 100%. Do you even believe it 20%? <laughs> well, a few people pointed out that Maria and Serena were getting along pretty well, like in the early 2010s when they were making appearances or doing like uh, kids days during majors. They were, you know, they were cute. They took pictures together, whatever. And then the Rolling Stone thing came out. And I think whatever sort of frenemy relationship they had was damaged irreparably. Like they're never going to be like that again, which is fine. Clearly, they don't have to be friends. They don't even have to like each other. It probably makes tennis more interesting. In her press conference when she with, after she withdrew from the match today, she was asked about uh, playing Maria. And she said, It's very difficult because I love playing Maria. It's a matchup I always get up for. And her game matches up against mine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's... There is undeniable shade in that statement, but at the same time, what is she supposed to say? How do you comment about this matchup after all these years that's been so lopsided? It's a little bit awkward. It's also not the first time she's spoken about playing Marie in those exact terms. Mm -hmm. I don't doubt that she enjoys it. That was like her stump speech. Like when you're a politician on the campaign trail. When asked about Maria, she's gone to that well before. Yes. Like she had it well rehearsed. She knew how to deliver those very cutting lines with precision. (laughs) She's never diminished Maria's tennis. She's always shown great respect for Maria's game because she plays her really, really tough. Who plays who tough? You know. Serena plays Maria really, really (laughs) tough. Like she gets up for these matches because she cares. And she knows what Maria can do. It would be stupid to discount her completely. Then this other business of Serena being asked this asinine question Mm. by Bill Simons in press. I mean, this was, this one took the cake and then some. It's like you could imagine all the other bad questions that have been asked before and rolled them into one and it still didn't get there. (laughs) Well, we promised a girl by section and here it is. He says, we're in this together, baby. And she says, no, we're not. You're not going home to a screaming baby. He follows with, I've been waiting about 14 years to ask you this question. After the 2004 Wimbledon match with Maria, I had the opportunity to interview Donald Trump on his LA golf course. And he said that Maria's shoulders were incredibly alluring. And then he came up with this incredible analysis that you were intimidated by her supermodel good looks. My question is, have you ever been intimidated by anyone on a tennis court? And what are your thoughts about that occurrence? Serena responded that she had never been intimidated by anyone on the court, uh, which was, I mean, what was she supposed to say to that? I, <laughs> if she's never been intimidated by her sister, who is going to intimidate she's Serena on a tennis court? Intimidated by someone with lovely shoulders? Like Alluring. that is so, so insulting. Alluring shoulders. It is so deeply insulting to Maria and Serena and to all women. I have, like, I have to assume that he th- he thought it was going to be funny. It's the only explanation, like, to ask such a ridiculous question. And in Bill's uh, profile photo on Twitter, he's standing there with his arm around Serena. I always assumed that they had a cordial relationship, just based on that, right? And clearly, he's been in this game for a long time. He issued an apology today saying, I admire Serena so much, and I, I didn't mean for it to be taken that way and that he's campaigned against sexism and homophobia and racism for a long time. And I'm sorry. So I don't know if he needed to go into all of that. How can you be so tone deaf and blind to ask the question and frame it that way when obviously the the high standing that Maria has gotten in tennis and in the world because of her presumed good looks? How can you ask that question and be so blind to the fact that Serena has been made a second-class citizen to Maria because of how their looks are perceived by society? Like, that is absolutely quantifiable in the monetary department, in sponsorship dollars. That's something that's well-documented. And then you go bring up alluring shoulders. Like, that, that is just crazy to me. Say nothing of the fact that you're prefacing your question 
based on Donald Trump's suggestion, like what he thought about mm. the issue in this day and age, that is mind <laughs> blasting to me. I mean, it's horrific. Like you really brought the name of the president of the Confederate States of America into a press conference with Serena Williams. And did you think she was going to find that amusing? You'd be hard-pressed to find a way to put more fucker into one question. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I thought, like, it had to be a joke, right? Like, there's no possible... I just wonder, like, what was the answer that he was looking for? Did he expect her to say, well, I actually was intimidated by Maria on that fateful day. And that's why, not the guttural sobs, but that's why... I resolved to never lose to her again. You got me, Bill. Right. That's I, it. This is just, your scoop. I don't get it. Our other girl by is Karolina Pliskova's horrendous response to questions about what was the few days like after your chair chopping incident. Just tone deaf. <laughs> it's so terrible. She said, I thought I'm not going to have to talk about Rome anymore. Okay, last time. Yeah, I think everybody was kind of surprised what I did, but I don't know. I don't think it was that bad. But I just felt this way after that match because I felt like I, it should not be this way. So it was, I think it had very big influence on the match. I'm not going to say I would have gone on to win the match if I won this point, but it was just, I felt so bad. So I just gave a chance to finish the match without this racket smashing between the games. But then in the end, like, the match was gone, so that's why I did this. But I have emotions. So I don't know why people, they think I don't have any emotions, but it was quite positive, at least in Czech Republic. And I don't know how much in the world. Obviously I got a fine, but it was not that big. So I think from the marketing side, it was good, smiling. Like she really thinks she's cute. (laughs) That's it. Like she thought the whole thing was funny. And clearly nobody at the WTA impressed upon her that it was serious. Well, they didn't impress upon her with the fine. That's one way right. they could have let her know that well, it was serious. I suppose they were restricted to a certain fee schedule. It's so simple. You say, well, I'm really embarrassed. It was a very bad look. I shouldn't have done it. I'd like to not talk about this anymore. So she instead jokes that this will really help my image of being robotic. Now people realize that I have emotions. Ha ha ha. Like, get the fuck out of here. I'm so, like, I'm so disgusted with her. A hundred percent. Saying, obviously, I got a fine, but it was not that big. Mocking the fine. Mm-hmm. Well, not, not just mocking it, but using the fact that it was such a small fine to indicate that it was not a big deal. You see how that works? Mm-hmm. Like, this is what we've been saying. Like, the, the fine amounts and the, the structure that they have set in place, it's a joke. And so, if that is a joke, is it a surprise then that somebody, albeit somebody who may not be as skilled in the nuances of the English language, answering in English here, would then make a mockery of it. Because that is the direct correlation between those two things. Oh, yeah. The thing is, yes, the fine is a joke because she's a multimillionaire and the fine was less than $10,000. But for a player on the challenger circuit, for example, $2,500 is a lot of money. It could be all of the prize money that they won that week. So it's insulting. It's very like Nini Leaks. I am very rich. It's just so ugh, like repellent. Yeah, I don't really have anything else to add <laughs> outside of that. I mean, she's out of the tournament anyway. She really sucked against Sharapova. So I guess that was her penance. You're just really going in. <laughs> I think you took what you wanted to give Christina and double down on Carolina. <laughs> Why don't we talk a bit more about the tennis itself? Mm-hmm. We've been left with some cracking quarterfinals on the women's side but let's let's talk about how we got there first the top half more so than the bottom half Mm -hmm. not to say that the winner cannot come from the bottom half because there's one person in particular who seems to be chomping at the bit again (laughs) (laughs) who's that (laughs) miss stevens miss stevens Mm -hmm. she's seen a bag and she's coming for it Now, when I mentioned earlier that all of these themes and narratives that we talk about before a tournament get thrown out the window, the first section in the women's bottom half had Ostapenko, Azarenka, Venus, all these people, they were all upset in the first round. Defending champ Ostapenko lost to Kozlova, Azarenka didn't make it past Siniakova, 
Venus lost to Wang, and Putin Seva turns out to be the quarterfinalist from that section. And as a result, she didn't have to beat any of those people. If you recall, Ostapenko was to play as a ranker in the second round. Mm-hmm. Neither of them even got there. Right. We were asked on the preview episode, who did we expect to have the better tournament, Muguruza or Ostapenko? We were both wildly wrong <laughs> with Ostapenko. <laughs> right. Because Muguruza is sitting pretty here in the quarterfinals. Yeah. Now, Elena Svitolina, who was in excellent form, had just won Rome, lost to Buzarnescu in the third round. Buzarnescu has had a, a very impressive year so far. But, well, not just a year, but the last 12 months. Right. John McEnroe doesn't know who she is, but a lot of us do. I would still say it was a surprise, but we're still running into the fact that Svitolina is having trouble at Grand Slams, when she really is one of the best athletes on tour. We kind of dismissed Sharapova getting to the fourth round by saying that Pliskova was going to handle her easily. Yeah. And it was the absolute inverse of that equation. It sure was. I did not expect that scoreline at all. We talked about already the Serena Ash Barty match, which was one of the marquee matches of the first week. One of the matches that really delivered. A couple players I want to shout out because they probably did better than some folks would have expected. Andrea Petkovic won a couple matches. She was even able to take out Kristina Mladenovic in the first round before then taking out Maddox Sands in the second round. Bethany herself had an impressive win in the first round, taking out Larson, who had made the final the week before. Maybe that was a case of too much play heading into a a slam. Who knows? But she was coming in 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 good form. And Bethany hadn't won anything in forever. It's a big step in Bethany's comeback. Petkovic then gets to the third round and plays a very game first set against Simona Halep before, unfortunately, injury set in again for her. It doesn't seem to be a serious scare. She says after maybe five days rest, she'll be back and good to go. The other person is Sam Stozer. Sam beat Yanina Wickmeyer in the first round before taking out Pavlyuchenkova in the second round. Fairly comfortably. 6-2-7-6. Comfortably as it will get for her. Because she hasn't really been doing much of anything lately. And then, unfortunately, she ran into Muguruza, who just steamrolled her 6-love, 6-2 in the third round. On the bottom half, we talked about Buzarnescu taking out Svidalino. You also had the match that I had said, I think, on the previous episode, whoever gets through that is a good candidate to make the final. Kvitova against Kantavite. <laughs> uh... <laughs> Kantavite went won that match in two tiebreak sets. Petra is out in the third round. And then in the very next match, Kantavite loses 6-2-6 love to Sloane Stevens. Another head-scratcher of mm-hmm. a result because Annette had had a wonderful clay court season, beating Venus twice, losing to the eventual champion at three of those events. She was one of the dark horse picks. And then to go out so meekly, was I mean it was like it was legitimately terrible like she did not even show up if I were Petra I would be really pissed off and then Kazakina Wozniacki was suspended last night they came back this morning the score was what seven five three all yes and Caroline did not win another game it was not a great match no it by was either player like intermittently wonderful for but it was like points at a time mm-hmm. <laughs> you know it wasn't like games at a time sorry it was seven six in the first set because there was a tie break so the last few points of the tie break were brilliant and gorgeous by dasha kazatkina is really like it's her game is so wonderful to watch when she's doing these things i did not get that impression by the reaction on I Twitter know. because a lot of folks were like i do not understand how anybody can stand this girl <laughs> I get it. Like, I really do get it. Her serve needs help. Some people deride her as a pusher, but that inside-out forehand and all these things she can do on the backhand, like, I think there's really something super special about this young woman, and I like watching her play, and I don't care who knows it. The best level of that match was the first six games of the second set before Bad Light interrupted. Yeah. Or before Caroline's lawyering got a verdict from the judges. Right. <laughs> Caroline Wozniacki, Esquire, did try to stop the match at around 9 o'clock, and she was overruled, but she also tried to drag Daria into it, 
And at first, Dasha was like, um, like, I don't care either way. And then she managed to come over to Caroline's side, which to me was mind-boggling and speaks to a lack of experience because all the momentum was on her side. But she won anyway. We got a Madison Keys-Name Osaka matchup again, mm-hmm. which went the way of Madison again. 6176. And now we have Madison Keys in the quarterfinals of the French Open to play Putin Seva for a spot in the semifinals. That is kind of crazy. Uh. Damn near every question asked of Madison in Charleston was about so you really hate clay. How's it playing on clay since (laughs) you don't like it? How come you're not better? Your results aren't that great on clay. But remember, you did make the final in Rome that one year and lost to Serena. Um, And here we are. (laughs) I think Madison's in a position she likes to be in. People are not really talking about her. But she's hitting the ball really well. And we've talked about this before. There is no reason why a big hitter can't win on clay in this day and age. If she's feeling comfortable, if she has the range... This fortnight, it can be her turn, much like it was Ostapenko's last year. If Ostapenko can, well, blast her way to a title (laughs) like she did last year, there's Uh no reason why Madison can't. Right. As long as you're moving well enough. We had, we both picked Halep and Svitolina to make the final. We picked the inverse of each other for the champion. So you had Svitolina beating Halep. I picked Halep to beat Svitolina. This was privately. I don't think we right, talked about this right. on the show. I changed my mind. I originally thought Garcia would make the final if it were between them. She lost today to Angelique Kerber and has set up a rematch of Halep and Kerber's Australian Open match, which you may remember is regarded as a classic by some. Other people don't like that style of play, but I say it was excellent. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I stayed up into the wee hours of the morning watching that match. And now we get a Simona Halep who has had shorter matches coming into the quarterfinals, shorter than she has been accustomed to lately. She will be fresher. and As will Kerber. Exactly. I have no idea what to expect. I was pleasantly surprised by Kerber's play this week and the fact that she dispatched Kiki Burtons, who was one of the strongest players throughout this clay season. You watched Kerber beat Garcia today, and it was the Kerber of old was the Kerber who would hit deep, bring you in by hitting it a little bit shorter, and then push you back again to the mm. baseline with another deep shot and then kill you with an angle out wide. It was relentless, save for two or three games at the back end of that match when Caroline started to find her range and uh, Angelique had to become more defensive than she had been all match. It was one-way traffic, and it was the type of one-way traffic that reminds us of Kerber's pedigree and what she can do. And with this match, we're going to have both players healthy and not injured. That has to be one to watch. Mm. We've got Muguruza and Sharapova in the other quarterfinal in that half. Garbine Muguruza is my pick to win the tournament. At this point. Oh, so since since your first pick yeah. is no longer in the tournament, right. you're coming in with another pick. I'll probably be wrong about this one too. But Mugrutha has, well, had terrible results leading into the French. But we both said last time, that doesn't really mean anything for her. She knows how to play on these stages. She obviously likes the spotlight. And here we are. Uh, it's like not many people were even paying attention to her matches. Aside from the opener against Kuznetsova, then she had Pharaoh, Stozer, a uh, retirement against Serenko, and here we are in the quarters. Both players were scheduled to play matches today, Sharapova and Muguruza, and they played a total of two games combined. Mm-hmm. The fact that we had Kerber and Muguruza going under the radar at this tournament was a function of so much of the spotlight being handed back to Serena and Maria. Yeah. And also a function, as I will repeat again, of the incredible depth on the WTA Tour. Because in spite of so many top players losing early, we're still left with Sefor Putintseva names strewn throughout the quarterfinals that you would be happy to have on any given week. 
On the bottom half, the quarterfinal matchups are Putin Seva against Keys and then Stevens against Kazatkina. So let's talk about Sloan. It seems inevitable that it we does. have to talk about Sloan these days, right? <laughs> she is well, causing a lot of conversation. She is. So uh, Ed McGrogan on Tennis.com wrote a story that was published today arguing that we have to think of Sloan as a contender at any tournament that she enters now. And I really like the story. I would encourage you to check it out. Uh, but I think there is a lot of value to what he said. Sloan is somebody who has never lost in a final. She, since coming back from injury, has been alternately incredible and pitiable. Like, you know, there are just some shocking performances from Sloan, both bad and good, mm -hmm. that we've come to expect. But they seem to build to big moments. Mm -hmm. And the way he framed it in the article is when she came back in Washington last year, she had this horrible loss. And that was the press conference where she said, completely unbothered, you know, I'm going to win one eventually, one being a match. Mm -hmm. And that built through the summer in Toronto and then in Cincinnati to the big moment of her career, winning the U.S. Open. She starts the year again in Brisbane, I think it was, gets bageled, you know, does not play well for an extended stretch again, finishes the hard court spring season with a big win in Miami. Starts the clay court season, getting totally blitzed by Coco Vanderway in Stuttgart, I believe it was. Right? It was a horrible result. Mm. <laughs> Love and one, something <laughs> like that. And here she is now playing some of her best tennis, having just beaten Kondavite 6-2, 6-love, and primed at the back end of a tournament and another Grand Slam to secure the bag. <laughs> this has really become her slogan these days. You'll remember that after her first round loss in Australia, she also told the press, like, guys, it's not that big a deal. I'm going to come back. It's fine. It's not the end of the world. And that sort of, <laughs> it's an approach that we perceive as casual and a little bit lackadaisical, which I think you can almost see on the tennis court because she's retrieving, retrieving, getting balls back. And all of a sudden, she just unleashes this powerful weapon that is her forehand. And it, it almost looks like it doesn't take that much effort. Like, this is the way that she plays tennis is a way that it seems like she goes through through life. <laughs> like, there's a lot of effort behind this. But it looks like, at varying points, like, oh, she doesn't care. Well, that's the rub with Sloan and why a lot of folks don't take her seriously. Because when she is doing well, it looks so easy. Right. And so when she's playing badly, it looks like she's not giving any effort, which is not necessarily the case. I'm sure there have been instances where that would be the case, mm. uh, but it's always going to be the knock on her when you're so naturally gifted in your movement and to be able to change directions and defend and do all these different things on the court well to great. That That's a burden that she bears. Mm -hmm. But I'm sure she is not bothered by it. No, not at all. And a lot of her game is predicated on defense by her incredible movement. But she has those big weapons that can end a point. I think people get a little bored because they think she's pushing and that she's not using those big weapons enough. And she would probably say, well, I'm doing fine. I've won some big tournaments in the past year. Like, get over it. But I wonder, like, is she kind of the ideal athlete for this generation of women's tennis. A lot of the women at the top of the game play incredible defense. Halep and Wozniacki are trading the number one ranking back and forth. We have Svitolina. We have Kerber, who won two majors in 2016. These are not people you think as, like, big power hitters. This is not, like, the big babe tennis of yore. So but they're, they're also women who are very much concerned with winning on a week-to-week -week basis <laughs> or who would be yeah. bothered by the constant criticisms of not winning week-to-week. -week. Mm -hmm. Sloan won a slam and then it was expected that she'd be able to win more smaller tournaments. She goes, she shows up, she loses, no big deal. Like That kind of stuff can weigh on another player in different ways than it seems to weigh on Sloan. If she wins this tournament and says she gets a third by the end of the year, how does that change? Is she going to then feel the pressure more or is she just going to be somebody who's going to 
pick her spots and show up and by the time she's done have four or five slams and like win 20 WTA titles total. Right. And, and that'd be okay and that's all she wants. Her bank account will be great but like maybe there's some benefit for her personal well-being and her psyche to just not give a fuck about what expectations folks heap on her. And that can be the template for the younger generation. Well, I agree. Because, sorry, because nobody coming up now is going to be able to live up to Serena and Venus. And before that, Justine, I guess. Like, that type of greatness, it's going to be very hard to achieve. Especially Serena's. It probably will never happen again. Like, you can't come up with those expectations. And the game is different now. So maybe she's the one to kind of change the way things are done. That is some take. (laughs) (laughs) But beyond that, just athletically, like, is she the ideal player physically because she can turn defense into offense because she's not just a retriever. She has those weapons to end a point. Simona Simona can do that too. She does, but not, not with the power that Sloan has. And I think... It, I, I don't know that that's true. Really? Yeah. Simona. Yeah. I don't think that's a good comparison. I think maybe Svitolina is a better comparison. No, I think Simona has a lot more power than she's credited for. Mm. But I think it requires a lot more physical effort. Okay. Just because of... I'm you just know, saying she can go from defense to offense when needed. Okay. So you're saying you're picking Muguruza? Yes. I'm still picking Halop. At this point, I would have to go with a Halop-Stevens final. Though I would like to see a Halep Keys final. And I would like to see how Madison performs in that type of situation again. I think it would be very helpful for her career going forward should she get to that kind of moment and acquit herself better mm. so soon after the last time. You know, I don't, I don't, right. I don't think it would be helpful for her to go two or three years before she gets herself back in that position. Shall we finally move on to the men? There were men here at this tournament, and still are apparently. <laughs> The tournament got underway with a pretty big men's story before the first round was even over. We got this big feel-good story of Marco Trungaliti as a, what is it, lucky loser? Mm -hmm. He was a lucky loser, had already entered into another tournament, and then got the call that if he wanted to get into the tournament, he had to rush back to Roland Garros. To sign in the next morning. Right. He was in Barcelona with his family and took, basically, he drove overnight to reach Paris from Barcelona. It's like a nine to ten hour drive with his mom, sister, and grandma, who just turned 89 years old. And as he tells it, he gets the call and then he goes and tells his grandma, who's in the shower, we gotta go. (laughs) And he said, basically, a half hour later, they were on the road. So he made it to sign in and then beat Tomic in the first round. Lost in the second round and leaves with 99,000 euro, which is more than he's won this year, is more than he typically wins in an entire year, and lost in the second round to Marco Cecchinato, who is currently in the quarterfinals. The biggest surprise in the men's side. Mm -hmm. If you remember that name but don't quite know why, Cecchinato was one of the players one of the first bigger-name players to be wrapped up in match-fixing a couple years ago. Right. Uh, And not to be party poopers, but it is news. It it is part of the story. In 2016, he was initially banned for 18 months by the Italian Federation for a few different charges for betting on ITF-level matches and supposedly messing with the outcome of a singles and a doubles match. Eventually... It was reduced and then overturned completely, so he was never banned. Um, there were problems with the evidence gathering. So it was uh, not quite a not guilty situation. It was more chain of custody. And if we assume, which we do with a lot of these instances with match fixing, and we're told after exhaustive investigations that these situations occur on the lower levels of professional tennis that it has to do with folks really just trying to survive. He's now in a position where he won't have to worry about that Mm. for a while, at least. He'll be up inside the top 50. He was ranked uh, in the low 70s coming to this tournament, and he'll get a really big paycheck that should alleviate (laughs) any concerns going forward. I personally am not super interested in the Tennis Integrity Unit at all. Nor am I. Um, I just... 
it, it's not that I'm okay with betting. I'm just not interested in it. It's not a topic we're going to take up very often on this podcast. Speaking of making America great again, were we talking about that? Oh, we Tennis Sandgren sure lost. sure as hell were not. Sandgren talking. lost in the first round. Great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Ryan Harrison also lost in the first round. Jack Sock. Jack Sock, who has won a total of five matches so far this year. It he, is June. He loses to Jurgen Zopp in the first round and behaved world, like... World beater Jurgen Zopp. And Jack Sock behaved like a world-class <laughs> piece of shit. Man, that ugly American stereotype is is sometimes based on fact. It was embarrassing... For himself, it was so disrespectful to the fans, to his opponent, to the umpire, and especially to the umpire, who basically told her, "You're only here because we're here," treating her as if she were a servant, and that he doesn't put any stock in what she says. Basically, it was such an embarrassment. I don't know how you stand him after this other straw. Well, I can't I, even say the final straw. There have been so many. I mean, John McEnroe was the biggest tennis star in the world at one point. People obviously like it. You just have to be good and an asshole. At this point, Jack is just an asshole. Feliciano Lopez loses to Sergei Stakovsky on clay in straight sets. The end is nigh, it seems, for Deliciano. No. <laughs> He's still good on grass, though, right? We have, we have queens to look forward to. He won last year. I'm just saying, that is... A whopper of a loss. <laughs> that other first round that we were looking at, Cole Schreiber Chorich, did not go the way I expected. No, I, I, had, I picked Philip. I know, and and I had him all the way in the quarterfinals because he's been playing so well. But Chorich is very good on clay. Made it to the third round, losing to Schwartzman, which is no shame, because like Muguruza, let me finish. His results have been horrendous the previous few months before the before Roland Garros and he's made it through to the quarterfinals where he will play Nadal he'll get another crack at Nadal Mm -hmm. what are some of the other earlier matches that are of note that require mentioning Dominic team beat Stefano Tsitsipas fairly easily it turned out in four sets yeah Dominic is now coming into the quarters fairly fresh by his standards He hasn't played a five-set match, which is an achievement for him. I tell you, who has played some five-set matches is Alexander Zverev. He sure has. (laughs) He has played three against Lajovic, Zumor, and Karen Hachanov. Um, You know, I want to back away from the criticism because people are giving him shit for getting in these five-set battles. But he has finally made a Grand Slam quarterfinal. And does it really matter how he got there? He got there. It doesn't. I really, mm. truly believe it doesn't. But how? How? With Zverev's pedigree, mm. do you lose two sets to Jumhur? I do not understand that <laughs> at all. And really, hardcore is Jumhur's favored surface. Kudos to Karen Hachanov, because that is a good result for him. Mm-hmm. He was up two sets to one on Zverev and was a stone's throw away from his first career slam quarterfinal. A lot of us expected a rematch of Nadal Shapovalov, and uh, Shapo kind of, I think, showed his age that he needs to learn a little more and just gain some more experience. He lost to Maximilian Martyrer in the second round. Fabio Fonini did what he was supposed to do, what I thought he was going to do, win a few matches and get to the fourth round, and he almost came back from two sets down against mm-hmm. Marin Cilic today. And what about John Isner? John Rafael Nadal's <laughs> biggest competition at Roland Garros, I hear. Oh my God, we heard so much about this in the lead up to the tournament that he was going to be Rafa's biggest challenge. And I couldn't tell if it was trolling or if it was serious, and I still don't know. It was all well and good to say that provided, given Isner's seeding as the ninth seed, if that were to happen in the fourth round. Mm -hmm. But when the draw came out and Isner would have to do something he's never done before in make a slam semifinal to get to Nadal in the first place, that should have been entirely off the table. (laughs) Because Isner has shown us now that despite winning a Masters 1000, 
winning a bunch of ATP titles. Let's let's give him his due. Being a top 15 player for an extended period in his, in his career, yeah. you'd be hard-pressed to find somebody with that resume who has done as poorly as he has in Grand Slams. In his entire career, the entirety of it that we've been made to suffer through, he's made one slam quarterfinal. And that mm. was back in 2011 or 2010 at the U.S. Open. And that's, I think, out of eight round of 16 appearances? A lot. Yeah. So the odds that were so heavily stacked against him to be able to create this upset made the whole thing laughable once the draws came out. And as it turned out, he got his ass whooped by Del Potro today rather <laughs> handily. If you're going to lose a match in straight sets as John Isner and not even get to one tiebreak, you got your ass handed to wow. you. There were some big upsets on the men's side. Grigor Dimitrov losing to Fernando Verdasco. That's not good. No. I mean, uh, folks, I mean, Fernando has been playing well, but still. Folks say that Grigor's least favorite surface is clay by a fair margin. And that is true. Mm. But uh, shy of feeling the effects from the five-setter the, the round before, this is bad. <laughs> but it's, it's something that we come to expect from Grigor, these really poor stretches. We know he's in great shape always, but... There's got to be something more. How about David Goffin losing to Marco Cecchinato yesterday? That is the biggest disappointment for me of this entire tournament. Not just because I had him making the final. He is one of the better clay court players. Mm-hmm. And he just gets himself into way too many unnecessary five-set matches. Yeah. What are you doing playing five sets against Robin Hasse? Having to come back from two sets down. And then potentially only surviving because Hasse's physicality mm. failed him. Then you go and you play Mute, you beat him in straight sets, and then you're playing Mofis in the third round, having to go over the course of two days to take him out in five sets, and then you lose to Cecchinato. It's a, if there's one big disappointment on the men's side, it's that for me. Mm. And Cecchinato is going to face Novak Djokovic, who, <laughs> you know... Again, not a lot of people are talking about him, except for Brad Gilbert. And he is quietly making his way through this draw. He's not in his top form, obviously. But he's doing what's needed, and he's being a professional, and he's winning matches. He opened against Dutra Silva before beating Munar, and then Bautista Agut, the only person to take a set off of him so far. And then he beat Verdasco in straight sets in the fourth round. And which is to say his path to the quarterfinals has been ideal. Yes. And the path potentially to the semifinals is also ideal <laughs> in having to play Cecchinato. And a quick note on Roberto Batista Agut, who just lost his mom last week unexpectedly and competed really well under the circumstances, taking a set off Novak. He is a favorite of the podcast primarily because of his support of LGBT folks and being one of the few professional male tennis players to have anything remotely positive to say to that effect. Yeah. Or anything to say, period. Yeah. But back to Novak, yesterday's match against Verdasco was bad. Like, it just was a terrible match. Both players were not in uh, <laughs> in their best form. The first three games took 29 minutes And there were just some incredible misses from both players. But once Novak got through the first set, it was back to like, okay, I am Novak Djokovic. I won the first set. These are the things that I have to do to win this match. It doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be highlight reel worthy. Uh, One of the commentators on our stream, and forgive me, I don't know who he was, uh, a British guy, said that Novak is now in management mode which I thought was a good observation, that he has so much experience that even when he's not at his best, he knows, okay, I won the first set, now I'm going to do what I have to do to win this match. And it's not going to be spectacular, but I'm going to win. The men's quarterfinal matchups, Nadal plays Schwartzman. Schwartzman has yet to beat Nadal. Can we talk about a very charming interaction with the umpire, which we don't always see? The opposite of Jack Sox. <laughs> uh, Is charming really the right word? Well... It was funny. Okay. It Schwartzman, was amusing. Schwartzman and Anderson were in a five-set battle. And it turns out 
Schwartzman was not complaining about Kevin to the umpire, which a lot of people thought at first. He was actually complaining about someone in the crowd, always making comments after every single point, saying, come on, come on, come on. And Diego was just going on and on and on. and said, shut up, shut up, just shut up. And he was telling the umpire this, Mariana Veljevic, who happens to be one of the youngest umpires to reach her level, by the way. And she was just sitting there, kind of smiling at him, clearly amused. And he said, so you agree with me? So you agree? And she's like, yeah, yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. I agree. And he's like, you made me, you made me smile. <laughs> he was so pleased by it. And I couldn't tell if her face was like, actually enamored or in or was she like oh my god this guy will not shut up maybe if i smile and nod he will eventually shut up do you think having gotten where she is at such a young age that he's the first man that she's had to sit down and listen to (laughs) spout off ad nauseum about some little bullshit Uh, certainly not it's not the first time she handled it so masterfully it seemed like she was just trying to placate the situation placate him and just keep it moving Mm -hmm. so Nadal plays Schwartzman Marin Cilic after taking up Funini in five sets gets Del Potro Del Potro is fresh he's lost one set through four matches Mm -hmm. and when is he ever fresh at this stage at the quarterfinals he's playing well like he might be the one to give Rafa a little trouble. Yeah. Might be. Mm-hmm. Because I, I've i maintained from the start of his latest comeback that his backhand is not as bad as folks make it out to be. And it's it's that much better now. Okay. I mean, it, it will never be a world-class stroke, but it's not terrible. No. On the bottom half of the draw, Cechinato plays Djokovic, and then Dominic Team plays Zverev. So the real marquee matchup here is Team and Zverev, the mm-hmm. Bellamy quarterfinal. <laughs> I think we're going to get a very different match between Team and Zverev. I think Team is in kind of a different mode at Roland Garros. He has more experience at this stage. You know, he's been to the semifinals here twice. He this comes will be in, the third time in a row. Mm, he comes in fresher than Sasha. and Which is something. <laughs> <laughs> That is almost crazy to say, mm-hmm. given how much you in particular have lambasted him for playing so much, heading into a slam. <laughs> right. And he honestly is in better condition than Sasha Zverev and almost anyone out there. Like, he plays too much, but he's in incredible shape. And truly, how many people have more power in all facets of their game than Dominic Team? Mm-hmm. He's at the fastest serve on the men's side this tournament at 139 mm-hmm. miles. Mm-hmm. For me, the winner of that match gets to the final. and uh, Really? Over Djokovic? I, I do think that. Mm. You think he's not quite there yet? I think whoever is playing him in the semifinals... Put it this way, I think Team will beat Djokovic. I think Zverev has a better chance to lose to Djokovic. Okay. That was a bit roundabout in saying <laughs> that, but... Okay. Still... While we don't think it's a foregone conclusion, this still is Rafa's tournament, wouldn't you say? Yeah. I mean, he's had a fairly easy draw so far. Well, when I say fairly, I mean incredibly easy draw so far. He'll face the number 11 seed in the quarterfinals instead of the number 6. So, I, I mean, not a huge difference. Which is not to say he hasn't been pushed in spurts. Bolelli pushed him throughout the entirety of that first-round match. Mm-hmm. It ended up being straight sets, but he gave Rafa... A lot of different powerful looks. Yes. And then in this last match against Martyr, that third set was was tough. Mm-hmm. Rafa ended up having to take it in a tiebreak. So we're not talking about the loss of sets here, but Rafa is not utterly untouchable this year at Roland Garros. We, we shall see. Like you said, Del Potro f- poses a real challenge, I think, if he gets there. That said, how much can Chilich take out of Del Potro? Even if Del Potro gets to the semifinal... That would likely be a tough match. Mm -hmm. To put a bow on this men's recap and looking forward, who do you have in the men's final? I have Nadal over Djokovic. Didn't you pick team to make the final before the tournament? I changed my mind. Oh my god. Because I'm not totally sure if he's going to make it past Sasha. So I feel more confident picking Djokovic. 
I feel like he will be fresher than whoever wins the Bellamy quarterfinal. That's why. How about you? I, I have Nadal over team. All right. No reasons or explanations. It's just whatever. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not a ridiculous choice. Shall we finish on a moment of levity? Yes, your moment of zen. Before Venus and Serena's doubles match against Maria Jose Martinez Sanchez, who is back, and Claypock, Serena decided to get 100% petty. And while they were waiting to go on, sitting in their chairs, Serena goes to the umpire and says, if I get hit by the ball or the opponent gets hit by the ball, is the point over? Yeah. Okay, can you make sure she and they understand that? (laughs) This poor umpire was probably like, what the hell is she talking about? And she was referring to a moment that we have discussed on this podcast, 2009 French Open, Martina Sanchez was hit in the arm by the ball, the point should have been over, and she refused to admit that it had happened. And she went ahead and won the point. Serena was mad. Like, she is really pissed off about these sort of little breaches in decorum. We know how she feels about folks who she thinks have cheated. Yeah. We know how she feels about the hand of God, or the hand of Justine. She Well, she called Martinez a cheater back then, when it happened, even though Serena won the match. And she has maintained forever that Justine was a cheater against her. So she does not forget these things. Also keep in mind, Serena was carrying an injury coming into this match and was probably doubly not having it because she was not in a good frame of mind. Uh She was trying to figure out if she could play the rest of the tournament with this injury, how this would affect her singles. And by the end of that third set, like we knew, we now know in retrospect what the answer was. Hmm. And uh, that is some way to get the proceedings started. <laughs> Have you ever seen anything like that? I mean, you, you ask me sometimes, what is it about Serena that draws me to her? And this, this is the perfect, the perfect example. Her pettiness is my pettiness. And my favorite part, somebody did the Lord's work and transcribed it and subtitled the video. And the best part is Venus giggling. <laughs> they actually captioned it with Venus giggling. <laughs> I just it was taken back to like 1998. It's a shame too, the injury, not just for her singles prospects, but they were playing well in doubles. They were, yeah. C'est la vie, as they say in Paris. Uh, thanks for sticking with us for this long episode. It took us a long time to get to the men. Apologies. We're going to be back at the end of this tournament, uh, probably on Monday or Tuesday, to recap the happenings. I'm James. I'm at Elliot JMR on Twitter. I'm Jonathan. You can get at me at tennis underscore John. Keep it cute. Because <laughs> you will be blocked. Actually, no. Oh. I don't really block people. You oh, are God. the block I master. Have blocked, I have blocked like 35 people in the last week. Anyway, we are at The Body Serve uh, on both Twitter and Instagram. We're on iTunes. Let us know how you feel. Write a review. Till next time. Thank you. Thank you very much.